hello and, um, hello. How are you today? Welcome to episode three of Electric Leftovers. Today on the old show, we're going to talk about video games. And that's probably the most of it. How about it? Over at the website, um, we're going to be starting some stuff going on. Uh, obviously, last week we had the uh, finale of um, We Love Katamari, and we sure do, viewers. We sure do. Also, we have some new Star Ocean, Second Story. Hope you're enjoying that. It's a pretty fun little game. We've got a new Let's Play coming up from me uh, to replace We Love Katamari. It stars a little man who likes to jump, and his name is Jumpman. Well, it was. It's Mario now, but you know who I'm talking about. Um, we got some new stuff from Ragnats. Ragnats bringing some Shin Megami Tensei Nocturne. All coming up. I got emails from Jade and Scarlet saying, I need banners and thumbnails made for these other things, which I should be doing instead of this right now. But I will get on that uh, shortly. Uh, so you can expect some new stuff from them coming up soon. Also, we are starting up our, uh, what I am calling, Low Bias Monthly project, as it is now December. Welcome to December. Low Bias Monthly, in which uh, each of us members will pick a different genre or game series, or maybe even console, something, once a month, and we will just pick a game and review it, play through it, let's play it, talk about it, whatevs. You'll find uh, that all going on over at the website as well. Um, not a whole lot else happening right now. It is snowing. Oh, we need a pole. We need a poll of the week. I have not done that yet today. I have been slacking because I have been busy at work. Anyway, that all being said, always new stuff. Always new stuff coming along. So, yeah, check it out. talk real briefly today, as opposed to the incredibly long review review we did last time, I want to talk briefly today about something that for a long time I didn't disagree with, and now I'm, I'm coming around to kind of slightly getting a little frustrated with it, and it's this idea of a pay-to-win game. Um, those of you who play games on Steam, maybe some MMOs, any game where you kind of, MMOs especially, where there's not really an ending, but you can put real money into the game to get, you know, better stats and whatnot for your characters. I used to be of the mindset, yeah, that is like the dumbest thing ever. That is really stupid. You just gave uh, Nexon $30 so you could have a fedora on your dual-wielding assassin robot knight dragon thing um because that does sound dumb doesn't it that sounds so stupid probably because i just made it up but i'll bet if you looked hard enough you'd find that is an actual thing anyway um 
where I've kind of come back around on this is these games are also free to play. You know what I mean? Like, I loved Dungeon Fighter Online. Played the hell out of Dungeon Fighter Online. Uh, Thera and I played it all the time. Sation used to come play with us. It was a lot of fun. I really, really loved that game. That was a great game, and if it were still available, I would probably do that game for our uh, Low Bias Monthly for the month, because it is a it's a 2.5D side-scrolling beat-em-up MMORPG. That is pretty cool, I think. Stage-based, little not not so much like arena-based or open world, like your uh, Worlds of Warcrafts and your Perfect Worlds and whatever else you kids are playing. But it's not a 2D platformery thing like your uh, Maple Story. It's Final Fight with skills, uh, Streets of Rage if you were a Sega kid. But it's it's an MMORPG of that, and it was a lot of fun. Um, play a lot of Vindictus. I think Vindictus is an amazingly fun game as well. I'm going to be playing some later today. But, point being, those games are free. They are free to play. I go download them. At least I did when DFO was still around. It's making a comeback, but it's going to be a while. You just go get the game and you play the game. And then if you want to put money in it, you put money in it. That's The idea of being pay to win in a game that you actually cannot win is a little silly to me. But the idea that you would complain about having to pay for optional things in a game that is free is also a little silly to me. Now that I really think about it, because you got to buy games anyway. You know, if you want to go and get a PlayStation 4 game, you have to go and you give someone money. And then they say, thank you, here is your game. If you want to download some new great game for your Wii U, you give someone, you give a computer money. And then the computer says 00110101. And long string of that, and it ends up being, thank you for your purchase, here is your game. Uh, go play it and have fun. We're okay with the idea of paying for games that we potentially have the capability of finishing because we know there's an end in sight but we're not so okay with paying money for a game that really doesn't have an ending even though paying the money is optional and that turns a lot of people off on these games and there have been times where i have brought games to the attention of the group like this would be a lot of fun let's all just get this together and we'll play it and we'll see how it goes and the general consensus it's an mmo i don't want it we'll never finish it while yet you know We'll play Terraria for three hours at a time or something like that. Well, you know, Terraria, as far as I know, doesn't have a ending credit roll with congratulations, the end. You know what I'm saying? People love the hell out of Minecraft. Minecraft doesn't have an end. You can beat the dragon, but Minecraft doesn't end when you beat the dragon. It's the same kind of thing. You know, the, the game goes on for as long as you want it to go on. And... It's never been a idea that let's sit down and let's play this MMO start to finish, beginning to end, and then we'll always have something to do. It's never been kind of the thing. It's like, this would be fun. We're, we all have different play styles. We all enjoy doing different things. Let's find a game that we can all sit down and play and enjoy. But then I get, well, it's pay to win. I don't want to pay anybody to win the game. Well, we're not playing the game to win the game. We're playing the game to have fun with the game. You know what I'm saying? Anyway, so pay to win... I, I think I'm a convert now. I, I won't pay to win a game, but 
I'm not going to complain about it anymore. about a game that some of you have probably heard of, but um, surprisingly, a lot of people don't know much about, and I think because the people who know about it know about it because of who made it, and the people who don't know about it don't know about it because of who made it. Does that make sense? So we're going to talk about uh, one of my favorite games for the PlayStation, probably one of my favorite games for all time, um, Vagrant Story. Brought to us by uh, Squaresoft, developed by Square Product Development Division 4. So, you know, really top shelf stuff going on at Square. However, um, such a great game. I mean, there's very little I could point to about this game being bad. Let's uh, read a little bit about the uh, background here. It's a Japanese-developed action role-playing game developed and published by Square for the PlayStation, released in 2000, and has been re-released through the PSN for the PlayStation 3 and PSP consoles 11 years later. Vagrant Story was primarily developed by the team responsible for Final Fantasy Tactics, with uh, Yasumi Matsuno serving as producer, writer, and director. Final Fantasy Tactics, probably my favorite game of all time. The PlayStation version. I've not done the PSP one, the War of the Lions. I was real excited when I heard that one was coming out because uh, the cutscenes looked so great and just everything about it looked good. And then, like, hey, new classes, hey, people from other universes. We know Cloud is in the first game, but we're just going to introduce all these other characters and we're going to change character classes around so they kind of don't make so much sense anymore. And we're going to introduce new character classes that weren't there. And that's when you lose me. That's when you lose me. Don't change the gameplay. Anyway, the game takes place in the fictional kingdom of Valendia and the ruined city of Le Monde. City, our story centers on Ashley Riot, an elite agent known as a risk breaker who must travel to Le Monde and investigate the, a link between a cult leader and a senior Valendian parliament member uh, named Duke Bardorba. In the prologue, Ashley is blamed for murdering the Duke and the game discloses the events that happened one week before the murder. Vagrant Story is unique as a console action-adventure RPG in that it features no shops and no player interaction with other characters. Instead, the game focuses on weapon creation and modification as well as elements excuse me, of puzzle solving and strategy. The game received critical acclaim from gaming magazines and websites. It is a solo action RPG game where we control Ashley from a third-person perspective while exploring the city and the catacombs underneath. We may also switch into first-person perspective at any time during gameplay to allow for a 360-degree view using the start button or the right analog stick on the controller. Characters and sprites are proportionate with each other, and the player navigates Ashley on a three-dimensional field map. Navigation is in real time, and areas accessed by the player are stored in an in-game map menu. While proportionately the characters do look a little silly, if you've seen any of the artwork for Final Fantasy Tactics or even this game, you'll know what I'm talking about. They have really short torsos but really long legs and arms. Kind of um, Aeon Fluxy Rain kind of thing going on, but not quite that disproportionate with the faces. 
probably because just it was supposed to be a PlayStation game, you couldn't do that. Ashley can run, jump, and push crates and cubes to navigate around obstacles, aiding puzzle, adding, excuse me, puzzle and platforming elements to gameplay. During the game, we must sometimes solve block puzzles to advance the story. When the player returns to a completed block puzzle room, a time attack mode called Evolve or Die begins. Players must reach the end of the room in the shortest time possible, after which they are ranked. This stage is optional and can be turned off from the menu. No benefit to it other than saying, look, I did this really fast. In the field map, we may engage the enemy as soon as we enter battle mode, which uses possible real-time combat system, much like Square's Parasite Eve, which came out two years before. In battle mode, when the player taps the attack button, a wireframe sphere appears around Ashley, which indicates the range of attack he has with his chosen weapon or spell. Individual body parts within the sphere can be targeted. The battle system involves the player chaining different attacks known as chain abilities to achieve large combos and deal damage to the enemy. This is done by pressing, pressing button, buttons excuse me, in timely succession, making combat resemble a rhythm game, which makes it kind of a lot of fun. In addition to chain abilities, defensive abilities allow Ashley to reduce or reflect damage or avoid status ailments. Ashley also gains break arts, which exchange his HP for increased damage. Mag magic is learned later in the game using grimoires that are dropped by enemies. Once it is used, the magic spell associated with it will remain in the menu, and players only need spend MP to cast a learn spell. Magic can be used to attack, heal, create status effects, and manipulate Ashley's elemental and enemy affinities. It can also impact your environment a little bit. Certain magic spells allow the player to affect multiple targets using a small sphere positioned within the battle mode wireframe. Unlike physical attacks, magic cannot be chained. Something new that this game brought in was the risk factor. Risk is an essential element in the battle system. A risk bar is placed below the HP and MP bar. This represents the risk points the player has accumulated. Risk points affect concentration. The longer Ashley attacks a target, the more his risk accumulates. This lowers his accuracy and defense. Chain and defensive abilities increase risk faster than regular attacks, while break arts do not increase risk at all. Enemy attacks and spells deal more damage if you have high risk. The advantage, however, is the higher chance for the player to score critical hits and restore higher HP. So there's a trade-off. little strategery. Vagrant Story's crafting system allows the player to create and customize weapons and armor in designated workshop areas by inputting various ranges, strengths, and statistics. Weapons fall into one of three main damage types, blunt, piercing, and edged. Equipment are influenced by their material and affinity to enemy class and elements. Affinities influence the effectiveness of weapons and armor. However, equipment might lose one form of affinity when it gains another type. Weapons and armor can be combined, merging their affinities and sometimes creating a new type of blade or armor in the process. Different types of weapons have different ranges, such as a crossbow having a longer range than melee weapons such as a mace. Like several square titles of this era, New Game Plus is an option that is made available upon first completing the game. In Vagrant Story, selecting New Game Plus enables the player to replay the story using their end game weapons, items, and statistics instead of the defaults. This option also allows players to access a hidden level which features more intimidating enemies and more powerful equipment. The story, however, does not change and original enemy statistics will remain at default. Also, if you want to get 100% map and treasure chest completion, you must play the game on New Game Plus. We'll go over the plot very, very briefly, and then just uh, kind of give a once-over on the game here. 
Vagrant story is set in the fictitious city of Le Monde, which we've spoken about already, while the kingdom of Valendia is engulfed in the civil war. Le Monde is an old town with a history spanning more than two millennia, located on an island surrounded by reefs. The walls have been the witnesses of many battles and are stronger than the mightiest forts in Valendia. In its golden years, the city was a thriving community until an earthquake struck the town 25 years before the events in the game take place, destroying the city and leaving the ground unstable. The Grand Cathedral and the Temple of Kiltia are at the center of the city. This area is surrounded by the west and east districts, both in fairly good shape, as well as the massive fortress-like city walls. Beneath the ground are an abandoned mine shaft, a limestone quarry, and the shadowy labyrinths of an undercity, also a dark Iron Maiden dungeon. A maze-like snowfly forest, named for the so-called snowflies that can be found within, covers part of the city. Other locations include the Greylands, the setting for the prologue event, and Valnane, the city where the Valendian Knights of Peace headquarters is located. It's the VKP, so you know. While Valendia and the city are fictitious, the game scenery is inspired by real-life landscapes of the southwest of France, including the city of Saint-Emilion. Uh, the plot, a vagrant story titled Phantom Pain, is presented as a prelude to the story of the Wanderer. Beginning in the Greylands, Ash- Ashley and another agent, a risk breaker named Callow, are sent by the VKP to Duke Bardorba's Manor to investigate the Duke's involvement with uh, the Mullenkamp cult and the Cardinal's interest in one Sidney Losterot. Ashley infiltrates the Manor and encounters Sidney, witnessing his powers firsthand. Sidney escapes with his accomplice Harden and the Duke's son Joshua, leaving Ashley with a clue to his whereabouts. The event was dubbed the Greylands Incident. Ashley and Callow arrive at the city, and alone Ashley infiltrates the city through the underground wine cellars. Along the way, he learns of objects holding magical power known as grimoires and the city's power to spawn the undead and mythological creatures. He encounters Guildenstern and his lover Samantha, who are known to be uh, Knights of the Crimson Blade, and he learns of the condition known as an incomplete death, and the Cardinal's real intention for the pursuit of Sidney to gain immortality. The Crimson Blades thus will confront Ashley as he reveals his presence to Guildenstern. Escaping unharmed, Ashley encounters Rosencrantz, who intends to join them, though Ashley declines. Rosencrantz tells him of the VKP and Parliament's knowledge of the dark powers in the city, and that the hidden powers deep within a person can be unleashed with the help of the dark. In his encounters with Sidney, Ashley is shown visions of his past, where his wife Tia and his son Marco are killed by rogues. Meeting Rosencrantz again, Ashley is told that they were not his family, but mistaken targets he killed during a mission of theirs. Ashley's guilt over the death was manipulated by the VKP to turn Ashley into a loyal risk-breaker. Ashley recalls his hidden battle skills and experiences clairvoyance, seeing the progress of the Crimson Blades, which leads him to the Great Cathedral. Without getting too much more into that, because it'll give a lot away, we'll just kind of pop on over to a little bit of the development. But I will say that the plot is really, really good. The gameplay is excellent, and I can find very, very little wrong with this game, uh, other than maybe it is too short, and a sequel was never released. Uh, Matsuno, the game's producer and director, preferred to create a new game title from scratch and use design ideas from staff collaborations, rather than reusing popular characters and designs that are found in sequels. 
this is how you make a good game. This is not what is happening today. Vagrant Story is regarded as a mixture of genres as it contains elements of role-playing in its battles and platform games when in the field map. Matsuno explained that the development team was not eager to place Vagrant Story into a specific genre, preferring to create the game with a genre of its own. During the design phase, Matsuno was shown photographs of France uh, from the region of Bordeaux. The region was visited by one of Matsuno's college, who was a wine enthusiast and uh, favored saint Emilion, one of the largest vineyards in Bordeaux. Captivated by the small town's architecture, the design team went on a trip to France to adopt these styles into the game. A team of five people was formed in September of 1989, including Matsuno and the principal persons in charge of graphics and decorations to realize the game's setting. Development began in January of 1998, spanning two years with manpower that steadily increased from 20 to 50 people at peak development phase. The story conceived for the game follows Ashley Riot's origins as a dedicated government agent prior to being the titular Vagrant, who is involved in many incidents after the events of the, in the city. Inspiration for the plot is derived from Hollywood classic blockbuster films as well as European and Asian games. The gameplay was conceived to cater to hardcore gamers who do not ask for hints and read through strategy guides. However, Matsuno revealed that over half of the game story was cut due to capacity and development time constraints. Memory issues were considered the most challenging aspect of the game development, with the team forced to adjust the game's interface, texture mapping, and polygon mesh maps, as well as removing gaming elements such as an AI-controlled supporting non-player character that would have joined Ashley in the middle of the game. Vagrant Story was conceived during a time when most games had made the transition into 3D graphics. Games with real-time polygons were the mainstream, and it was decided for Vagrant Story to follow this trend. Murata, the main programmer, expressed his concern in working towards a large-scale three-dimensional game for the first time. To avoid discrepancies in the frame rate caused by a large number of polygon models, the modeling team had to select an aspect of each character to focus their attention on. Art director Minagawa mentioned that painstaking detail were given to each individual models, even to characters that only appear for a few seconds in the game. The same character models were used throughout the game to create a seamless transition between event cutscenes and actual gameplay. The sound effects were created by Minoru Ako, the game's sound programmer, and Tomohiro Yajima, the sound editor and engineer. One thing I really liked about this game um, was exactly what it talks about with the cutscenes. There is no jarring transition from cutscene to gameplay. Like, if, let's take some other games at the time. Um, what was else was coming out around here? Uh, Legends of Mana. Um, kind of around this time, the Chocobo Racing and Chocobo Dungeon games, Threads of Fate, Chrono Cross, we talked about, um, Saga Frontier, even Parasite Eve, what, what I guess is kind of the spiritual predecessor to this game. Um, when you went from gameplay to cutscene, very obvious, very obvious difference. Uh, but in this game, it doesn't change at all. The art style is exactly the same. Lighting's the same. The rooms are the same. Since all the models were built around the same design, the people all look like they belong in these scenes. In, in as far as even just the detail that went into this, if you enter a cutscene with a weapon equipped that is not the default Ashley Riot weapon, that weapon will show up in the cutscene in his hand. 
if you enter a cutscene with no weapon in hand, there will not be a weapon in his hand during the cutscene until it is required that he draws a weapon. And when the weapon is drawn, it is whichever weapon you have equipped. That's pretty impressive. And that, to me, is one of the things that made the game just super, super great. Just a few review scores before we kind of top this off here. Um, in May 2000, this was the fifth best-selling PlayStation title of the month. 100,000 units were sold, despite being overshadowed by Final Fantasy IX and Chrono Cross. Vigrant Story was the third of 20 games to date and the only game on the PlayStation to receive a perfect 40 from a Famitsu magazine. Game Rankings gave it a 91.97 out of 100 uh, for a total of 43 reviews. Metacritic, out of 19 reviews, gave it a 92. Um, Edge gave it 7 out of 10. They're fools. Electronic Gaming Monthly, a 9. Famitsu, 40 out of 40. GameSpot, 9.6 out of 10. IGN, 9.6 out of 10. Official PlayStation Magazine, 4.5 out of 5. All RPG gave it an 8.7 out of 10. And PSX Extreme gave it a 9.6. I really wish they could have had more time to work on this because knowing that half of the plot is gone really makes me just want to know what more was in there. I, I wish this could have come out and I would have waited another year, no problem for this. Mostly because I didn't know what was coming out, but... Had this been on two discs, I'm not even caring about the optional or secondary non-playable character uh, to assist you in battle, which does happen in one battle in the game. They did leave that. Uh, but, anyway. Um, knowing that this game is as great as it is, but could have been more, really impresses me even more, but kind of saddens me a bit. Anyway, three years after its 2000 release, Vagrant Story was selected as one of Sony's greatest hits. Games released at greatest hits were sold at a lower price, often increasing units sold. Vagrant Story is also part of Ultimate Hits, Square Enix's main budget range. The game was later made playable on the PSP and PS3 uh, when Square Enix announced the title's release in PlayStation stores in Japan, Europe, and North America. In 2006, the role-playing game Final Fantasy XII contains several references to Vagrant Story, terms such as Risk Breaker, Lemon, the Kildea, albeit with a different spelling and the localization, are commonly used in both games. According to an interview with Joypad, a French gaming magazine, in 2004, Yasumi Matsuno claimed during the development that Avalis, the game world he created when he joined Square in 1995, is a complex world with a very long history, and the stories of Vagrant Story, Final Fantasy Tactics, and Final Fantasy XII are said to unfold quite close on the Valis map. However, Matsuno stated in 2011 by his Twitter account that he never intended for Vagrant Story to take place in Avalis. As a result, any references he had made of Final Fantasy Tactics and Vagrant Story, as well as Vagrant Story references in Final Fantasy XII, uh, are only there to serve as fan service. <clears throat> It is acknowledged as a game with an extreme popularity outside Japan eight years after it was first released. In October 2007, during an interview with the development team responsible for the remake of Final Fantasy Tactics for the PSP, War of the Lions, we talked about this, executive producer Akatoshi Kawazu uh, was asked about the possibility of a remake or port of the title to PSP. 
Kawazu mentioned that it is the next natural candidate for such an update, although there would be difficulty importing the game because it was a title that already pushed the original PlayStation to its technical limits. Kawazu also remarked that bringing the character Ashley Riot into other Avalos titles would be difficult since, even in Vagrant Story, there's really not that much you learn about Ashley Riot. Great game. Fantastic game. One of my favorite. Um, man, just so good. I, I don't often go back and just play games for fun anymore because I do all this let's play business, but I will sit and I will play this for three, four hours, you know, and just enjoy, you know what I mean? Such a great game. If you have not tried it, go get it and try it. some news How about some weird news let's have some weird news um london's daily telegraph reported in november that a gardener hired by the house of commons had spent a day pulling color changing leaves from the trees on the westminster palace grounds because it would be more cost effective than to rake them up after they fell the gardener whose name is annabelle honeybun this is a real name not a james bondy name said that she had 145 trees to service. A local environmentalist, however, lamented, denying autumn visitors one of the few pleasures of this time of year. Mm. Various cogs in South Korea's national machinery paused briefly on November 13th as so as not to distract the nation's high school-age kids as 650,000 of them were sitting for the decisive university entrance exam, which are several levels more important than the SATs or ACTs for us Americans. Large companies and government agencies told employees to commute later in the morning to keep traffic lighter for students traveling to the 1,257 test centers and no-fly zones reduce noise during the 40-minute period in which students tested orally on the English language. That's crazy. This is crazy. Uh, Santa Muerta, or Our Lady of the Holy Death, might be described as a cynic's unauthorized byproduct of Roman Catholicism currently festering in drug cartel royaled Mexico and Central America, and is, according to Vice Media, the world's fastest growing religion. Saint Death first appeared only 12 years ago in the uh, in Mexico City Barrio's uh, Tapito and is now a first line of protection for worshippers in danger zones and the highways to them. Almost 80,000 Mexicans have been killed in drug-related violence since 2006, Vice reported. Said an author who has studied the religion, people feel more comfortable asking Santa Muerte for favors uh, they probably shouldn't ask a Catholic saint for. Pope Francis ordered an investigation in October of the Italian Riviera Diocese of Bishop Mario Oliveri, who is 70, who is known for giving second chances to wayward priests from across the country. Reports had surfaced that among Mario's priests, one who openly published nude selfies on Facebook, another caught publicly flirting with the wife of a port captain, 
another dismissed from a cruise ship for molesting passengers, and another revealed to have full-body tribal tattoo that he had exhibited while posing with the tattoo artist in the local newspaper. The manager of the church charity in the diocese estimated that about half of the bishop in a half of the about half, excuse me, of the bishops, 175 priests uh, were delinquents. Thanks, Daily Telegraph. Let's uh do one more. Um, tractor trailers, you know, big trucks, right? Big trucks. Three of them happened to crash on Interstate Interstate 24 near Chattanooga, Tennessee, on November 9th, and uh, left a pile up. One truck's load of eggs, another of cheese, and another of meat. Hmm. Uh, here's another one. Drunken trombone playing clown fires gun from garage, police say. This is an October 21st story on MLive.com from Grand Traverse County, Michigan. It also reported that the man was wearing camo pants. the news viewers that's um out there on the internet i suppose thanks for listening today do hope you enjoyed the old episode uh we'll see you next time have a great weekend have a great day we got some uh good stuff happening so enjoy yourselves <laughs>